Good morning. Um, I don't know about you. I uh, tend to drive my cars uh, more or less to the end, right? Until uh, they are somewhat old looking and uh, they may need some repair and the cost of that repair probably exceeds the, what they call the blue book value of the car. And that's usually at the point where I decide to, uh, to buy a new car. Now, when you buy a new car, you have a choice. You could bring your old car, and you could trade it in for some value. Right? I've, I've learned over the years that's not such a good idea, because the, uh, the company that sells car will usually not give you the best value for your old car. So I don't recommend this. But you know, I've done it you know, once or twice. And uh, so it's, it's not so unusual. Now, some people will not uh, wait for their car to be very old. They might say, you know, my car is five years old, and you know, I'd like a nicer, newer car, OK? So they might go to a realtor, to, sorry, a car salesman, and, and try to negotiate some, some value for their uh, old car, which is not so old, right? Might be still running perfectly well. Uh, in fact, uh, next picture, you know, that's a picture of my car there on the top. Uh, two years old, uh, Toyota, runs very well. But uh, let's say I wanted something newer and better, and I went into the car salesman, and he said, yeah, I can give you a great deal. I will offer you, you know, for $9.99 and your car, uh, this other car you see here on the bottom. Would you go for it? Would you go for that deal? Anybody? Going once, going twice. <laughs> no, why not? Why wouldn't you go for this great offer that uh, the salesman is offering you? You're not going to buy it down. OK, so you can tell somehow that the car on the bottom is not as good as the car on the top. OK, good. Any other reasons? OK. Yeah, it would be nice to have a car that goes on its own power. <laughs> My kids had a car, maybe still have one similar to that one. And yeah, you basically use your feet to walk, right? You know, yes, your bottom is sitting. The wheels are carrying some of the weight, but uh, it's, it's your feet that are doing all the work. OK, well, just as a thought, as we're, as we're turning to uh, Galatians here, so we'll be looking at Galatians chapter uh, We'll finish up the chapter. We'll read verse uh, 21 through 31 in just a second. But uh, the Galatians were being offered a similar deal. They've, they had the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul came and he, he told them how they can go to heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins. He rose again. And all who put their faith in him are justified. Justified. They're made right with God. They, they have a place in heaven. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So they had that. They had the gospel. They had a, a means of righteousness with God. But now the Judaizers came in, and they said, you know what? We have a better deal for you. It's called the law of Moses. And uh, you get to be circumcised. You get to keep the Ten Commandments. And plus another 600 or so, 
and that those will help you be right with God. In a sense, it was replacement. You can't really have both. You can't believe in God's free gift of salvation and at the same time work for your salvation. So they were really trying to you know, play a switcheroo on the Galatians. And Paul in this passage will try to point out that they were getting a bomb deal, as they call it. Uh, but first I wanted to pause and think just a little bit, why would, why would anybody, why would anybody give up on the gospel of Jesus Christ and seek to be justified through the law? Because this was a real problem in Galatia, and believe it or not, it's a real problem for us today as well, where people will turn to the law, maybe not the law of Moses, but it could be the law of Roman Catholicism, Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses. Uh, why, would, why would someone turn from the gospel of Jesus Christ to a works-based salvation? So I have three reasons I can think of. One of them, a person could be wooed. Uh, wooed, usually you, you use that term to describe a woman who is being wooed by a man. A man comes and he wants to impress a woman, convince her that she wants to marry him. He'll bring her flowers, he'll talk sweetly to her, maybe uh, you know, sing a song, you know, take her out, all kinds of things he'll do to try to convince the woman he really loves her, she really wants to be his wife. Uh, it's possible for, for uh, quote-unquote missionaries to do the same, uh, to try to be, you know, sweet-talk you into it. And uh, that was likely what the Jews, I should say the Judaizers were doing. Paul says they, they zealously caught you. They zealously caught you. They, they worked very hard to win the hearts of the Galatians. They may have come in very well-dressed. They, they spoke very well. They appeared to be very righteous, very zealous for God. They were God's ancient people. They were the Jews. They had God's uh, word, the Old Testament. So they, they could have come in as a very attractive package to, uh, to the Galatians, and the Galatians were wooed. Uh, I think another word is bamboozled. They were impressed by these Judaizers and everything they, they came and had to offer. They looked so good. They spoke so well. Uh, so that's a real problem. And, and similar to people today, you have you know, well-dressed people come to your door speaking very nicely, uh, very kind to you. Uh, they'll open sometime even the Bible or something that looks like the Bible and, and share from it, trying to convince you that their message, their uh, gospel, their system of salvation is the best one you should have. And, and you could find yourself, again, bamboozled, wood, cheated out of the true gospel. Another reason I could think of is pride. Um, how many of you like to win? Yeah, you like to win. Uh, wanting to be uh, better than others. We uh, compete. Uh, some people go on, uh, on races uh, to win. And uh, in order to win, usually you need to have some sort of a, a system of rules, laws, things that you follow, right? You have to run uh, a mile or two miles. You have to stick to a track. Uh, you can't take drugs. There are certain limitations, and if you follow all these rules, you could prove that you are the best in that particular sport. 
And uh, the, the law system can give you something similar, right? It can actually help you prove that you're better than others. So in Christ, we're all the same. We're all accepted by God. We're all sons of God. There is no differentiation. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. But for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Well, the system of the law gives you an opportunity to differentiate and say, well, no, I am better than brother so-and-so because I go to church twice a week, right? And I read through my Bible uh, in a year. And I, I do all these things that somehow make me better than other people. Right? And we'll see the Galatians had that problem. There was this desire to impress. There was this pride, the desire to be better than others. And the law could come in as a means to it. Oh, you're telling me if I keep these things, if I become circumcised, I'm more spiritual than people who did not become circumcised. Well, you know, count me first in line. Right? Because it sets me in front of others. So that's one of the dangers of the law. It appeals to our pride. It allows us to, in some way, uh, promote ourselves ahead of others, think that we're better than others. False. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Uh, the third one I could think of, and, and here I want to be really uh, sensitive, but there can be uh, a lack of faith. Uh, I've been... Uh, listening to a book on tape about the history of the church. And uh, over the ages, different ideas filtered in that today we, we connect with the Catholic Church or the Greek Orthodox Church, but they're very old. Uh, people just weren't convinced that um, believing in Jesus was enough and uh, felt that there's things they could do to in some way uh, help assure them of, of their salvation. Um, some people uh, believe that uh, if they walk on their knees uh, to a certain uh, shrine, uh, maybe holding a cross, maybe reciting prayers or, or verses, uh, all these things somehow help bring them closer to God. So if, if I have a hard time trusting that really I am saved just by believing in Jesus and what Jesus did for me, the law can become kind of this crutch, right? Well, we'll help you. Okay, well, I can see that. I need help. Oh, you're telling me that if I, if I do these extra things, uh, there's a higher likelihood that I'll go to heaven. I'll do those things, right? And it, it's a result of, uh, of, some, of some weakness in our faith, not quite trusting that what Jesus did is quite enough. There is something I must also do uh, to be saved. And we, we should have uh, really compassion uh, for, for these people and, and everybody who, who uh, in some ways is in danger to this false doctrine of justification by works. And Paul in this passage will turn to the law and show from the law, really the historical accounts of the law, reasons of why we should hold on to the gospel of salvation by faith in Christ Jesus, as opposed to um, the works of the law. Okay? So uh, turn with me, or we'll have the verses displayed for Galatians chapter 4, verse 21 through 31. 
<clears throat> Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. For these are the two covenants, the one for Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which is now, and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Paul reminds us that Abraham had two sons. Most of us probably only remember uh, one son, or maybe just some of us remember only one son, and that would be who? Isaac, right? Isaac, uh, he was the son of Abraham, the father of Jacob, and we recognize that through him comes the messianic line. But Abraham, the scripture tells us, had another son, and uh, his name was Ishmael. Now, Paul brings up these two sons as an illustration of the two covenants. Uh, the two covenants are one of uh, the law given to Israel on Mount Sinai, and the other really is the gospel, God's promise to save us when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus. And Paul's saying that these two covenants uh, could be illustrated by the two sons of Abraham. And uh, Paul proceeds and uh, points out uh, some of the connections here. One is the fact that the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. Uh, that would be uh, Ishmael, but he of the free woman through promise. That would be Isaac. How is it that Ishmael was born according to the flesh. Well, in uh, Genesis chapter 16, we read the following, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. So if you remember, God made a promise to Abraham. He promised to make out of him a great nation and through him to bless uh, the whole world. Well, in order to have a great nation, I need to start with at least one child. And uh, Abraham didn't even have a single child at this point. And Sarah seemed to be very sensitive to the fact uh, she wanted to bear a son uh, for Abraham. She wanted to see 
uh, God fulfilling his promise through her son. But after many years of not having children, recognizing that she was barren, unable to have children, she had a thought. Uh, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abraham, see now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go in to my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abraham to be his wife after Abraham had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar and she conceived. Now, we have to realize there's a lot of things in scripture that are not of God. This is not something God wanted them to do. Uh, but the scripture is a faithful record of, of the accounts of the things that transpired in the Old Testament. And so Sarah, being desperate to have a child, uh, came up with the plan of using her maid, her female slave, as a, uh, what do we call it these days? Surrogate mother, right? She said, okay, here I have this slave. You know, use my slave uh, in order to have a child, and I'll call that child mine, right? We'll pretend it, it's my uh, child. Terrible idea, terrible idea. Resulted in countless troubles to Sarah, Abraham, and, and Hagar. And uh, the problems remain to this day. If you look at the Middle East and the strife between uh, the Arabs and the Jews, to this day, there's still troubles that come from this set of decisions. Nevertheless, this was a decision that Sarah did. How is it that Ishmael was born according to the flesh? Well, it was through human effort. It was human effort. So they, they recognized, well, God has a plan. God wants to make Abraham into a great nation, uh, but we're not seeing it happening. We need to come up with a plan. We need to find a way to make it happen. And so by the power of the flesh, human effort, they're trying to fulfill God's purposes in bringing Abraham a son. So Ishmael was born according to the flesh. But... Uh, he of the free woman through promise. How was Isaac born through promise? In uh, Genesis 17, the following chapter, verse 15, then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. So this is after Ishmael was born, maybe 10 years later or so. God shows up to Abraham, and he reminds him of his promise to him to give him a son and say, this son will be born of Sarai. Well, Abraham is like, you know, we've been there, you know, we've thought this through. It's not going to happen. And he says, and, um, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old and shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, 
Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. We came up with a solution, God. We got Ishmael for you, right? And, uh, and God says no. Then God said no. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. How was Isaac born? Was it human cunning, human efforts? No, it was God's promise, right? Fulfilled in its time. Then Paul, as I said, he connects it to these uh, two covenants, the covenant of the law, and if you would, the gospel, right? The law, like Ishmael, is based on human effort, human effort, the power of the flesh. Galatians 3.12 says, yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. If you want to be right through, with God through the law, it's very simple. God gave us the law, the Ten Commandments plus 600 or so, and so you can go and read those and attempt as hard as you can uh, to keep those laws, right? And it'll be based on your self-effort of keeping those laws that you will be right with God. Now, let me tell you in advance, you're not gonna make it. It's not gonna be a successful effort. Um, because that's not why God gave us the law. Uh, I'm kind of skipping a little bit in my notes to uh, the man behind the curtains. Uh, but Romans 3, 19 through 20 says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Very simply what these verses say, it wasn't God's purpose to save us through the law. Right? Remember that uh, car that we saw that uh, you know, uh, couldn't drive on itself? That car wasn't designed to drive on itself. It wasn't designed to take you to work. It was perhaps designed for a child uh, to play and pretend uh, like he's driving in a car. Uh, maybe learn some of the basics of driving in a car, maybe steering or something like that, uh, but never designed to really get you from, from your home to your work. <clears throat> uh, similarly, the law was designed to help us understand that we are sinners. We are not good enough for heaven. Point. That was the purpose of the law. It was educational. It was never designed to take us to heaven, just to show us we're not good enough to get to heaven, and with the purpose of helping us then understand our need for a savior so we could go to heaven through him, okay? Uh, Paul also connects the law uh, or, or Ishmael uh, to Mount Sinai. Right? He says, for these things are symbolic, for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. In uh, Hebrews, 
chapter 12, we have a description of Mount Sinai. It says, uh, speaking to the believers, for you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded, and if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. The uh, mountain, Mount Sinai, was a terrible place. Uh, it was the backside of the desert. There was no life on Mount Sinai. And God added to the terror of the place uh, thunders and lightning and voices and commandments uh, spelling the death of anyone or anything that touched the mountain. And that is a fair picture of our covenant through the law. The only thing that covenant is designed to do is to strike fear into the human heart. It's supposed to show us that we are guilty before God and deserving of God's judgment. Why, O oh Galatians, would you want the law when all it has to offer you is terror of judgment? Because that is all the law points us to. On the other hand, Isaac was a picture of the gospel. Isaac was born through promise. We are born through promise. Acts chapter 13 describes Paul bringing the gospel uh, to uh, most likely the Galatians. He was preaching in the same region uh, where this letter was sent to. And this is the gospel that he preached to them. Acts 13, verse 32. And we declare to you glad tidings. Glad tidings, that's what the gospel is. Gospel simply means good news. We declare to you good news. That promise which was made to the fathers. The promise of what? It's the promise of eternal life. It was uh, the blessing that Abraham enjoyed, the relationship with God. Israel constantly sinned against God and turned from the path, and as a result, judgment came upon them. But God kept promising them the coming of a Messiah who will one day save them from their sins. And that was the message of the gospel. Now it says in verse 33, God has fulfilled this for us, their children. So God has actually already fulfilled this promise for us in that he has raised up Jesus as it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, 
you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his father and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, speaking of Jesus, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. We are saved by the promise of the gospel. The gospel is the message that Jesus died for our sins on the cross. He was buried and he rose again the third day to demonstrate the fact that your sins and my sins are paid in full. And we can put our full confidence in God for our salvation, uh, the forgiveness of our sins. And thus we are saved by promise just as Isaac was born by promise. The results of our faith are not uh, the Mount, Mount Sinai in Arabia. It says that, uh, but the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. Uh, Israel would look back to Mount Sinai in their history, and they would remember God's giving of the law there and the terror of God, and that would compel them, impel them to keep the law, realizing the terror of the Lord, and that's what drove them. We look ahead to the Jerusalem above. We're told in Hebrews 12, 22, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Jerusalem was a place of fellowship with God. There was the temple of God, and there people could come to approach God. Now, the Jerusalem on earth was somewhat limited in the picture it provided of heaven, but it, is, it still was a picture uh, we can look to the full fulfillment, to the true Jerusalem above, and realize that it's a place of fellowship. Uh, we will have fellowship with angels. We will have uh, fellowship with uh, believers we have known on earth. We will have fellowship with uh, believers in uh, Old Testament and New Testament time. You'll get to see uh, Peter, Paul, Abraham, Isaac and uh, find out more of the details of their lives and the mercy and grace that God has shown them. Uh, most importantly, we will have the fellowship with God. He is described as God, the judge of all. This morning we were worshiping him as everlasting father. He is our father. We do not fear him as a judge because all our sins were paid for by the Lord Jesus. 
All he left us is the cup of love, the love of God. And uh, there we will meet our heavenly groom in sight, the Lord Jesus. And uh, we will see uh, in his stretched out arms uh, the holes. Uh, we will see the wound in his side and all the reminders of his love for us when he died for us on Calvary, knowing that our sins are paid in full. So the uh, Old Testament uh, or the uh, covenant of the law looked backward in fear, and we look forward in love and affection for the God who saved us. And uh, we serve him now out of love and not out of fear. Completely different. Why would you switch out the gospel for the covenant of um, the law of Moses or any other works-based system of salvation. Next, Paul uh, rejoices in an Old Testament prophecy. He says, for it is written, rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. This is a prophecy from the book of Isaiah where God is promising the future uh, resurrection of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel was being destroyed by the Babylonians and it seemed like all hope was lost and God was describing how he was going to bring back uh, the nation of Israel into the joy that God had planned for them in the future. Now, this includes not just the nation of Israel, but uh, the church as well, uh, all the saints of God. Uh, the key here, the connection that Paul is making, is uh, it describes a supernatural uh, resurrection or a supernatural birth. Rejoice, O barren, you do not bear. Why would a woman who is barren rejoice? Uh, break forth and shout, you who do not labor. Why is a woman who is not in labor? Now, I mean, we could understand in some sense why a woman not in labor would be happy compared to one in labor. But the idea here is a desire for children. The desire for children. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. How can one who is barren have more children than one who is not barren? How can someone who, a woman who does not labor have more children than one who has gone through labor? How can one who has no husband have more children than one who has a husband? Uh, the answer is uh, through the power of God, by miracle, supernatural, right? Just as Sarah had Isaac supernaturally, so these verses promise a supernatural uh, coming into a relationship with God, right? The gospel. The gospel doesn't bring us through the power of the flesh. We don't do anything to deserve our salvation. It's all the work of God that translates us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of His love. It's a miracle. Salvation is first and last a miracle. It is God's work. It is not our work. And that's the connection this prophecy has with the story of Isaac and Ishmael. We are God's supernatural fruit of the gospel. 
We came about not by human efforts, but by the power of God. John 1, 12 and 13 tells us, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so our salvation is not the work of man, not our self-effort, not our uh, works keeping, but God's divine power. And we understand it all happened through the work of the cross. Jesus uh, paid it all. Jesus paid it all. And that's how we can be saved. Now, it's interesting to me that Paul says, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. And I was thinking about this many more children, and there's probably multiple ways in which we could think of the gospel as resulting in many more children than the uh, law of Moses. For once, uh, the law of Moses was only offered to the nation of Israel. So it was limited in scope in its offering. Uh, the gospel is offered for the whole world. So anyone, anyone in the world, whether you are a Jew or not, uh, God is offering you a way for a relationship with him through the gospel. The law was limited to the nation of Israel. Uh, but really, most of all, uh, the law was unable to produce true children to God. As I mentioned before, it's just not the purpose of the law. The law wasn't supposed to bring us to God. It was to, sh to show us that we were separated from God, that we were sinners, that we could not reach God by our own efforts. The law is just that car with no motor or engine, completely powerless to take you from point A to point B. Unlike the gospel, uh, the gospel has the power of salvation. And so today, uh, there are millions of people who have come into a relationship with God through the gospel. So it's true that uh, the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Finally, Paul uh, brings us into uh, yet one more connection of, of Isaac and uh, Ishmael to our current situation. Verse 28, now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise, but as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Uh, how did Ishmael persecute Isaac? Well, we have one reference in the Old Testament scripture that could suggest itself to us. In Genesis chapter 18, it says, so the child grew and was weaned and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian whom she had born to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, 
namely Isaac. So we're told that there was some sort of a big celebration for Isaac when he was weaned. I assume that meant he has reached a certain age of maturity by which he could uh, feed himself as opposed to depending upon his mother for sustenance. And it must have been in that day a special event to celebrate. Abraham was very excited. This was the son of promise. This is the son that God uh, told him that through him he would, uh, he would uh, bless the whole world. He would make him into a great nation. So Abraham was rejoicing that this son of his has reached that uh, coming of age, and he had a big party. And uh, yet Ishmael was not impressed. Uh, it said that he was um, scoffing. I, I expect that this wasn't a single event, uh, that it was just a case of a teenager uh, randomly choosing to scoff at uh, a younger child who he didn't think uh, really deserved such a big party. <clears throat> I think this was born by the fact that um, Ishmael knew that Isaac was the promised son. He knew that uh, Isaac was, uh, had a special place in his father's heart. Isaac was born to Sarah, who was free. His mother was still a slave, in spite of the fact that, uh, that uh, he, Ishmael, was a biological child of Abraham. He could tell that Isaac had uh, a special place uh, with his father. And so I think it was systematic. I think there were systematic uh, or symptomatic demonstrations of disrespect dissatisfaction in Ishmael against Isaac. And Sarah said, enough, enough, get him out of here. I don't want, uh, I don't want Ishmael here in some way uh, threatening or belittling or in any way uh, being a negative influence on the life of my child. You can understand Sarah. Now, we might not be sympathetic with Sarah. We would say, Sarah, this is your own doing. You're the one who came up with this plan to start with. And it's not really fair to Hagar and to Ishmael for them to be put out. But uh, she recognized something that was true, that Ishmael wasn't going to be a good thing uh, for her son uh, to be around. And uh, unfortunately for Ishmael, he wasn't just setting himself against man. He was setting himself against God because God really had a plan. And that plan was going to use Isaac and bless Isaac in special ways. And so uh, in verse 11, we're told, and the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice, for in Isaac your seed shall be called. Now we'll come back to Ishmael. We're not quite done with him. But uh, we have to recognize that God had a plan. And Ishmael unwisely was setting himself against God's plan. Paul connects that to the situation of the Galatians. He said, uh, even so it is now. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Now, we could... Think about the real persecution the Galatians suffered. Uh, we're told that uh, uh, the Jews raised persecution against Paul 
the apostles and those who were believing Paul's message, uh, there was a real persecution. Uh, people may have suffered uh, verbal abuse, uh, physical abuse. Uh, later on, people will be thrown in jail, killed. Uh, but it could also be referring simply to the Judaizers coming and troubling the Galatians and their faith in Christ. We're told in um, Galatians 2.4, Paul describes uh, this situation as occurring because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. The Judaizers, they were uh, Jews, but they saw the Gentiles coming into faith in God and enjoying their freedom in Christ. And they were singing and rejoicing about going to heaven. And the Judaizers said, it's not that easy. It's not that easy. You guys can't do that, right? You have to come in through the law. You have to be circumcised. And, uh, and this was, uh, if you were, a form of persecution. They were troubling the believers. They were countering the teachers of the, the teachings of the gospel. And, uh, and yet, uh, Paul says, uh, nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. The problem with the Judaizers is they were not just setting themselves against the Gentiles, against the Galatians. They were setting themselves against God. This was God's work. This was God's plan of salvation. And they were coming in the way of that. And uh, we, were, we were reminded today uh, that there is no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. There's only one way of salvation. And that's through the Lord Jesus. If the Judaizers uh, and anyone else would keep on holding to the law of Moses, uh, they would be cast out. Right? There's only salvation through Christ. Only through Christ. Okay, how do we apply this uh, message to ourselves today? Well, first of all, it should encourage us, those of us who have put our faith in the Lord Jesus, and uh, his complete work for us on the cross, it should be assurance, right? You know, the law is not God's plan for us. The law cannot take us to heaven. The only way to heaven is through Christ and what Christ did for us on the cross. So rest assurance in your faith uh, if that is indeed your faith. Now, uh, I told you we would go back to uh, Ishmael in Genesis uh, 17.20, God is responding here to Abraham's request to consider Ishmael since he and, and Sarah and Hagar worked so hard to produce him. God says, And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. And uh, this verse reminds me that God is not stingy with his blessings. God is not stingy with his blessings. You don't have to think that you somehow, as it appeared that Ishmael was, are outside God's plan of blessing. Uh, 
You don't have to uh, continue uh, seeking to be justified by self-effort. Uh, God invites you also to put your faith in him. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever, the uh, old King James says, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God has provided for every man, woman, and child uh, sufficiently for their salvation in the Lord Jesus. There is, there is room uh, on the cross, so to speak, for everyone. Jesus died for your sins on the cross. He fully paid for everything you have done on the cross. There is no reason for you to exclude yourself. He has included you in his plan of salvation. I was uh, saved about uh, 22 years ago. And uh, I was saved in a Bible study. We were studying the book of Romans. And we came across a difficult verse, Romans 3.25. The verse reads, Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. I did not understand what that verse meant. Uh, and as I was struggling with that verse, God finally opened the eyes of my understanding that, uh, that Jesus paid the debt, the sin debt that I owed God. And when I understood that, I was saved. I entered into the kingdom of God. And I've, I told that story once to a friend of mine, and he said, oh, well, that's interesting. That adds you to the list of people who were saved through the book of Romans. And he mentioned a couple of names. Uh, one of them was Luther. Martin Luther was reading the book of Romans, and he came across Romans 1.17, where it says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And there, Martin Luther realized it wasn't his good works. It's by faith that God saves us. And uh, another famous person is Augustine. You may have heard of Augustine. He was called one of the fathers of the church. He was an inspiration, in fact, to Martin Luther when it came to justification by faith. He lived around 400 AD. He was uh, wrestling with God he knew God uh, had the key for salvation. Uh, he knew that his life did not match God's uh, standard of perfection. He was missing God's salvation. And he was just really torn up about it, weeping in the garden. And he heard a sing-song voice of a child saying, take up and read, take up and read. So he uh, picked up the scriptures and he just opened them randomly and came across a verse in Romans, Romans 13, 14, that says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision 
for the flesh to fulfill its lust. And, and Augustine was saved reading that verse. God just brought it, sunk the, the reality of the Lord Jesus into his heart, and he was saved. What I didn't know at the time until recently as I was listening to this history of the church, Augustine had a friend sitting next to him named Alipius. Alipius, probably haven't heard that name. And uh, Augustine was so excited about you know, being saved that instant. He showed it to his friend. He said, look, you know what it says right here. And Alipius read that verse, which is the last verse in the book in uh, chapter 13. In those days, there was no divisions in the chapter. So Alipius kept on reading to the next verse. And the Romans 14, one said, him who is weak in the faith received. And he told Augustine, you were saved by that verse, and I'm saved by this one. He says, him who is weak, that's me. I am weak in my faith. But this verse tells me Christ will receive me, even though I am weak in faith. So maybe that describes you this morning. Maybe you want to be saved by Christ, and you understand that salvation is through faith alone. But you think, I'm just not strong in faith. My faith is too weak. Well, believe as Alipius did that Christ will receive you even if you are weak in the faith. Come to him and come to him today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he uh, provides for us a full salvation, Lord, not by works that we have done, but uh, by his uh, righteousness, he has saved us, Lord. We uh, pray here for anyone who hasn't yet received that free gift of righteousness, that you will uh, open their eyes today to the righteousness that's offered them through Christ. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.